The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going and welcome to episode 97 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80grade. That's all spelled out. And once again, joined by Kevin Hastings, who should be followed on the Twitter at Hastings. Kevin, this is our part two. I'll probably title it that way as well of our streaming series. I don't know if you can call it two-parter a series, but uh, it's two parts at least. We're going to talk some pitching streaming here. Obviously, we had a great time talking to Steve Weimer about hitting streamers, but streaming pitching is a whole different monster. People have been doing it for years and years. How... Well, if you could say in very one sentence, what was your experience streaming pitches last year? It was overall successful. However, it contributed to my lack of strikeouts that I've talked about on multiple episodes. My weakness in many leagues this past season was strikeouts. And I think I just didn't have enough quality starting pitchers to to count on a weekly basis that when you said it was overall successful all i heard was it was overall stressful this because was. the talent especially in your 15s it was very difficult to if that was your strategy going in it was very difficult to continue to do so all year long and be confident in your decision making every year but we're going to talk about how what we can do maybe differently this year and we're going to bring in some big guns when it comes to streaming pitching we are joined by our very special guest Nick Pollock, founder of Pitcher List, and he's here. I'm just happy he made it. He stopped his very important other things that he was doing to be here. <laughs> and and he's also the reason for our very existence, Kevin. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for joining us. And how you doing? What is happening? I don't think I ever want to be introduced as the reason for your existence <laughs> again. Oh, gosh. No, I'm so happy to do this. Let's talk stream pitching. It's It's an art that unfortunately has to exist and the whole goal of said art is for you to stop doing it and i'm looking forward to uh, to diving into it more with you guys yeah all right we will get into that we do have a couple of news items we kept all the pitching news for this episode nick yeah i know just for you even if they're pitchers that you probably don't even care to talk about they're still pitchers at least they're still pitchers we we can do this (laughs) then i'm gonna i'm gonna kick it off to you first then nick we do have a signing in arizona i think there's definitely some implications here for some pitchers that you've already talked about 
on the Plus Pitch podcast. You've already done the Arizona rotation, and then they go and change it up by signing the signing. Don't they know what Zach, I'm doing? And they're, they're not paying attention, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Davies, he joins the Diamondbacks rotation. First, about Zach Davies specifically, though, do you think he can do anything under Brett Strom there now that he's there to make him actually interesting? to you, especially in the format that you focus on the most, those 12-teamers, that maybe he'd be normally on the wire all, all season. Zach Davies is the perfect on-the-wire candidate. I don't expect him to be drafted in leagues. And even with Brett Strom being there, I don't look too much into pitching coaches. I think a good way of thinking about it is there are some guys that are just generally better than others. Still, every pitcher fits differently with every pitching coach. And to just to just blanket have a blanket statement like oh this pitching coach is really good thus this guy gets better is a is too much of a gamble to take when we have all these other variables to use for pitchers and when it comes down to zach davies um his changeup can be good and that's about it that's really it when it comes down to him and it makes it so tough to stream him you can even say like last year there was a moment you were considering zach davies but yeah, no, I, I really don't have any interest. And honestly, this 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 move affects Dre Jameson and Ryan Nelson a little bit more. I assumed that the Diamondbacks would get somebody. I was maybe thinking it would be Johnny Cueto. Could have been Michael Walker. Maybe a return even of Luke Weaver. Because Dre Jameson and Ryan Nelson were the four and five before this signing. And now it's one of those two gain that fifth spot. I would imagine it's Dre just because Ryan had the injury at the end of last year. They just want to make sure that he's fine. But it does affect those two. And it likely means that one of them will be a streamer in season. Ryan Nelson, when he does get his opportunity, will be picked up off the wire. And that's a little bit more interesting. But Zach Davies, nah, get out of here. I, I have no interest in this. Kevin, I think that you probably stray away from him in general at his pitching prospects that don't have a set role. But in your opinion, are you, is this completely taking Brandon Fought off your board if he was on your board to begin with? Chris Clegg did his very first pitcher list article on him and had some very nice things to say about him. And he's obviously did really good things in the minors by the end of last year. Was Fought somebody that you were interested in? And does this signing to strengthen the depth of the Arizona rotation make him so much less desirable even in a draft and hold league that you're either pushing them too far down your board you're not going to get them or just off your board completely no i don't think so i don't think it affects it much at all obviously zach davies is arizona is planning on him giving them innings but if fought is performing early in the season as many expect he could i don't think this move is going to hold him back we know that there's always issues with every starting rotation five starters isn't enough sometimes seven or eight isn't enough i think if the arizona determines fought is ready and they're willing to start his clock they'll do that i don't think zach davies is going to block that from happening yeah and that's probably a fair assessment about zach davies <laughs> he's not probably yeah, blocking not anybody of any note <laughs> Yeah, it, there there likely will be some injury of some kind at some point. It's what happens every single year. And it could even be something that like the Arizona Diamondbacks, let's just go six man for a little bit. Or we have a spot start for a doubleheader or whatever it is. And that might be when thought comes up. 
If he's that good, you probably will see him before the June expectation that we normally see. Oh, the door is open for anyone who passes Super 2 and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I agree with Kevin here is, yeah, we're not really going to go after Fott now. All right, Kevin, your boy found a new home, Wade Miley. He's signing in Milwaukee, deepening that rotation as well. Can Wade Miley, can he become relevant in your world now that he's with the Brewers in that ballpark? And what kind of impact are you seeing on the rest of that rotation because of the? I think Lauer's the odd man out, probably. There's already talk of him possibly moving to the bullpen. I think that's mostly on, on fan message boards so far. I don't think we've heard anything from the Brewers on that front but definitely a possibility. And yeah, I am one of the high people on Wade Miley. I have been for quite some time. When he's healthy, I think he's better than the perception. And especially if we're chasing wins. Two of the last three seasons when he gave us 150, 160 seasons, Double-digit wins. One of those seasons, his own ballpark was Great American Small Park. He's not going to give us a ton of strikeouts, but if we're talking streaming pitchers, as is the subject of this episode, he's one of my favorites for it, it. Put him in the right matchup, and I love me some Wade Miley. Not going to run him out there on a weekly basis, set and forget, but at an ADP of over 600, that may come down a little bit now that he is signed and is presumably in the rotation that probably adjusts a little bit, but I don't think enough to scare me away. And especially in draft and holds definitely will be a target of mine as he is year in and year out. And on my watch list on Fab Leagues, probably not drafting him in Fab Leagues, but definitely on my watch list. Nick is are you of the opinion that like Wade Miley, if he signs somewhere, he's in their rotation, regardless of how deep the rotation might be? Or do you think even with the signing, even Wade Miley could be knocked down into a bullpen role? The Brewers needed depth. They had six starters, Adrian Hauser as their sixth. And you don't really want to start Adrian Hauser because all he can do is throw sinkers to right handers. And that's it. That, that That's all he has. So I'm thinking Wade Miley's in the rotation. I don't think it's Lauer that gets kicked out, though. I think it's Aaron Ashby. They were oh, toying around with Aaron Ashby. a lot of people with that, Nick. Trust me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one on, who, I'm starting to lose connection here. I yeah, don't think. I'm, I'm the one who put out the tweet saying Aaron Ashby deserves better. I've been shouting for Aaron Ashby to have a spot in the rotation since he first came up in 2021. And it's been frustrating to watch. But I, that, I see the signing and I go, that's what's going to happen. Eric Lauer sticks around. That. Why would they take out Eric Lauer? Eric Lauer was consistently a starter last year for the Brewers. And they really don't see why they would remove him from that opportunity. There's something to be said about Freddie Peralta's injury record. And maybe the Brewers want to be a little bit careful with that. They may even do some crazy things like a Wade Miley and Peralta double up or maybe even with Ashby involved there. But the way I see right now is Woodruff, Burns, and Lauer are like, yes, you are going out there. You're getting a six innings how often you can. Fantastic. I hope they do that with Wade Miley. I hope they do that with Freddie Peralta. I hope they do that with Aaron Ashby. And then you go, wait a second, that's six guys. And so that probably will be Aaron Ashby is the one that's out on it. I'm with you, Kevin. I found myself in a weird place where... I'm liking Wade Miley generally as just a fantasy streamer more than the average person. I think there's a lot of those Septembers in the past that have really haunted the memories of people. But five months of the season, Wade Miley was really good for your fantasy teams, right? He does well with sinkers, sorry, cutters inside righties and change-ups away. That's just how he runs. It's great. 
I don't know if his hit per nine though is that good. It's, it was a nine plus hit per nine last year in the small sample. That kind of might be the newish Wade Miley. And I am a little scared streaming him out of the gate. I want to see him from the Brewers say, yes, here is five plus innings on a silver platter, which you ordered, dear. And he, the gloved man lifts up the silver cover of the plate. I'm watching Downton. I still don't even know. Oh, and there it is. Term. I was like, where's this coming from? <laughs> and I still don't know what to call any of this from the footman. Okay. But I'm not, I got to see that first before I get any interest in Wade Miley in my drafts. Streaming wise, yeah, don't ignore it. As Kevin mentioned, like he could get wins. The Brewers are going to win games somehow. The NL Central is just, hey, who wants it? Everyone's like, eh, I'm good. So Wade Miley's going to get some wins there. And that's pretty cool. So the other piece that Milwaukee added to their pitching staff, I definitely will not say their rotation per se, is they traded for Bryce Wilson from the Pittsburgh Pirates. One interesting thing about Bryce Wilson is that he has no options. And so he should, if he's going to be on the Milwaukee Brewers, he's going to stay there or he's going to get DFA'd by them as well. If Bryce Wilson got a spot start, is there a situation in which that you would actually be considering him as your streaming pitcher of the day, Nick? When you say that Bryce Wilson has no options, the good news is that the Brewers have options not to start <laughs> Bryce Wilson. 552 <laughs> ERA, 142 whip, 15.5% K rate last year. His hard contact rate allowed last year, Bryce Wilson, was 189th in the majors. We look at a four-seamer angle. Please don't be above 30% hard contact. And Bryce Wilson's overall was 33%. Not just on your four-seam. That's the average of all of his pitches. Mm -hmm. Not the one detrimental one. That's across all of them. No, I am not starting Bryce Wilson. It, I can. The only way I can ever see it is if literally there's no one else that is able to go five innings. And I don't even know if Bryce Wilson is able to go five innings. His IPS last year was 4.6. That's innings per game, but still pretty much. He really went that five innings. And sure, he had that eight-inning game against the Reds on September 28th. And what did he do the next one? Came in relief, 3.1 innings. Like, what are we doing here? No. The idea also that Bryce Wilson would get that opportunity. He's the eighth guy? At best, you can even argue like Jason Alexander is more interesting for the Brewers. Maybe Ethan Small gets that shot. Like, why would the Brewers say, oh, Bryce Wilson, you're our guy? No. Gavin, in the deepest of deep leagues, we're talking 15-team draft champions. Bryce Wilson is going at ADP 733, but the caveat is he's only been drafted 12 times out of the 49 why? completed drafts. Would you make it third? Is there any reason you would make it 13? No, absolutely not. I agree with everything Nick just said. And over the past two seasons at the major league level, he is an out below 190 innings. And with roughly 6% walk rates in both of those seasons, that one four plus whip that Nick talked about. And it's that hard contact percentage. He's getting hit hard. If you have a whip that high when you're not giving up bases on balls, you're getting hit hard on a regular basis. And I have no interest. Yeah. This is the type of player that, especially in early draft champions, I, I go ahead and have to change the filter for dates, but I'm assuming that he got picked up in the earlier draft champions, obviously before he got the and sent to Milwaukee, but that, 
you're trying to take this risk. You're trying to throw a dart and hoping it works out. And it turns out you end up with a roster spot that's completely wasted throughout the course of the year. Sure, something magical could happen, but it's very unlikely, as you guys have pointed out, for all the right reasons. All right, well, that was all the pitching news that I saw come through this week. Most of the free agents have been have been signed up, gobbled up by new teams, and news is a little slow right now. So we're going to get into the idea of streaming pitchers. We're going to do that with Nick Pollock in just a moment, but first we're going to take this quick break. All right, we are back. Of course, you're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hastings. We are lucky enough to be joined by Mr. Pitcherless himself, Nick Pollock. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. You got the mister. You got the title, if you will. (laughs) Don't you love going on Pitcherless Podcast Network shows and then everybody just talking about how you are Mr. Pitcher? No, that's (laughs) not why we made this. (laughs) It's not. No. It's all absolutely not. It's for you guys to talk about everything I don't want to talk about. It's true. That's true. And I let everybody else talk about about it. But you notice that we still bring you on to only talk about the pitching. It's great. It's so great. (laughs) We want you to be comfortable, Nick. All right. Let's pick your brain, Nick, a little bit. You do, obviously, you do the, you pick a streamer every single day. Talk to us a little bit about what kind of a streamer you are choosing. We talk a lot about NFBC platform formats here, 12 teamers and 15 teamers, but obviously the depth is a little bit different than say your CBS, your Yahoo's, your what have you. But when you are picking a streamer every day, what are the requirements and what are you looking for? So you gave me a heart attack just for a second because in the show notes, it says section two theme hyphen, the art of streaming hitters. <laughs> I did not update that. And oh boy, I was like, oh no, I am about to be on a podcast and I got to figure this out. No. Okay. So I, as I go through my process, I've really articulated as best as I can at the start of each one of those articles. It's just a copy and paste every time, but I think it's a very important preface for anybody that is jumping into it every day that it's a requirement. You have to read the methodology (laughs) and what you're going through. Read the dang notes. Read the notes. (laughs) Because I cannot, I understand you go to the same, here, I've ranked all the starters for today. You see them and then you just get upset at them because you have a different methodology. And that's totally justified. But I don't know your methodology (laughs) and this is mine and it's outlined like this. So what is that methodology? It's for 12 teamers. I only do guys that are under 20% rostered. You could technically a streamer is under 50%, right? As in more than half of the leagues will have this guy available. Thus, I should be able to do that. However, I think that those that are coming to pitcher list are not in an abandoned league. And they're in generally a little bit more competitive than just, oh, hey, there's four of us that are really into it. And the others aren't. If it's just like four of us, then it's not really someone that is actively doing everything they can to win that one. It's just, that's not a serious league. So in any, anyone that is actually, okay, I need to actually figure this out on my own. Yeah, it's not going to apply really to the sub 50%, right? It's going to apply more to the 20%. Also, I think it's just easy if you go under 50% because a guy that's 40% rostered, I don't know. Merrill Kelly was took a long time to be above 50% last year. And that's just, I would just choose Merrill Kelly in those days because he's just cruising and it's a Vargas rule. And there you go. Or Martin Perez or Spencer Strider took a while. Same with Christian Javier to get over the 50% mark. And that's not fun. That's not a challenge. That's not helpful to everybody observing it. So you could say 30%. I think I did that actually originally. And then I found that I was still getting into a little bit of those comfort zones. And I said, you know what? Let's actually work to try and do the sub 20%. So then I put them into tiers. 
And I realized later on, I actually increased the difficulty of my tiers to the point of saying, look, like you are just, if you have them on a fantasy team and you're starting them, if you have this guy on your roster and you are starting that pitcher. And I, I made it a whole list of like auto starts and probable starts and everything. Probable start is pretty much, is honestly like 40% rostered guys. But they are, in a 12-team, you're just going to start that guy. You're just going to call it a day. So most of the time, when I pick a streaming pick, it's in the questionable start tier. And that is when I say, I'm not normally starting this guy. And that's, I would say, 80% of my streaming picks are ones that I'm not actively suggesting that you do. Because at the end of the day, streaming pitching is not something I suggest for a full season. It just isn't. You are putting yourself in too much risk. There's a reason why they are not rostered in 80% of leagues. And the goal is to actually pick up guys and start them that you might actually hold on to after that start. So streaming is something I recommend in April and May a lot because you are trying to find guys that are your 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th starters and then you hold on to them for the year and then you swap them out later. But I don't draft saying I'm expecting to have my last two starting pitching spots to always be changing. In the beginning, yes, but I want to get that Merrill Kelly or that Tyler Anderson at the beginning of the year, the Carlos Rodons and Robbie Rays of 2021, Spencer Striders and Christian Javier's when they're not rostered, George Kirby when he came up and just soared, right? That is how you succeed in your leagues. And you look back and go, my gosh, I got 150 innings out of that guy. That was amazing. Way better than getting 250 from that's a mediocre ERA and whip. And sure, you're going to get a little bit more strikeouts with that one, but at what cost? It's really important to nail that. When I put out this presentation in Florida, I said the first thing is streaming sucks. It does. It's just not a successful thing. All right. All of that out of the way, all that prefacing. Uh, What do I look for? High strikeout rates. If Can you strike out guys a lot? Great. That's already innately giving you a higher opportunity to be of more value than your standard streamer. If you're a sub 20% K rate guy, you're just hoping that they can go six innings then. That's the goal of it. If Do they have a chance of going six innings? If we feel like they're a five and dive guy, then I feel like this is a higher chance of being an unsalvageable start if they're not having any strikeouts assigned with it. Then the other, then the first and foremost thing really is just what's the opponent? Like, are you going against the Marlins? Great. Can you go at least five innings? Cool. You're, you're already in the questionable start tier, right? But those honestly are the biggest things for me. Volatility doesn't matter as much because on like the worst pitchers are good 50% of the time. Like literally Patrick Corbin starts half of them last year were actually serviceable. Believe it or not, right? But it's just because he's allowing six earned runs and like the other half, it's like, all right, yeah, we don't want to touch this. It's too risky. But when you're streaming and you're thinking like, all right, I need something good for this, rule out like the season-long ERA. Rule out like his last two starts were bad or something. Like, does not matter. Is he, do I think he's in a place right now where his fastball is good and his slider is good? Is it so bad? Is it so terrible? We so lost? And like, all right, then I'm not going to go for it. But generally, it's like, all right, it wasn't good last time, but it doesn't mean it's not going to be good this time. And it's about recognizing what are their good starts like? 
And then you're like flipping a coin. Like, all right, I hope it's the good one this time against a weaker opponent that gives maybe a 60-40 chance instead of a 50-50 chance. And that's really it. There isn't some like magical, wonderful thing. It's just grasping what that ceiling is and getting over the small sample and finding the right opponents. That's streaming in a nutshell. I was really hoping for the magic, Nick. So you're really disappointing <laughs> me and everybody else, I think. that was We just need the magic sauce, right? You talked about, you mentioned that recommend, not recommend, but streaming is more relevant early on in the season. But and Kevin, I'm going to get your take on this first, but like, where does it get to a point at the, especially in a Roto League, Kevin, where you're, you're, you've gotten so desperate to hit certain category marks, whether it be strikeouts or chasing wins or whatnot, that you almost have to, you almost have to keep, you have to be streaming later on in the season. How do you dictate how many roster spots you're going to be streaming in order to play that kind of catch up game? I don't think it's a predetermined number of roster spots. I think it's sometimes, I think I agree with Nick. What I have said over the past couple of seasons is if you're not streaming pitching early in the year, you're not getting the breakout guys because the, your opponents who are streaming already have them rostered. They've already grabbed them. They go out and have a good outing and you're like, oh, let's go see if he's available. Nope. The guy that streamed him are, are already rosters him. So I agree with that 100%. And then it really depends. It's That sounds like a cop-out, but it really is a case-by-case -case basis. How desperate are you getting in these categories? When you get down to two weeks to go in the season, if you're chasing wins and strikeouts, I'll throw almost anyone out there that's playing the Marlins or the Rockies on the road and just hope no one – there's a really good chance it's not going to work, but I know if I don't attempt this, I don't have a chance. And then you're gradually throughout the season, you get closer to that point from the point that we're starting out at. I, I think a lot of this, it, it has to do with the ball a lot as well. And we don't know what the ball is going to be like. I think the reason streaming pitching became a thing was it was successful when the ball wasn't as lively. And I'm talking up through 2018, we had success. Now that's five years ago now, and we're still trying to stick with this plan that obviously didn't work in 2019, didn't work very well in 2021. And in 2022 was really up and down. And we, thanks to Dr. Meredith Wills, we probably know why. And I think we really have to pay attention early in the season to what ball we think is being used. If it's a dead and ball, like we're told MLB once, then streaming does become more viable and we can take more risks. But if it's a lively ball, we don't want to throw those guys out there. Nick, when you're drafting, how does the idea of especially streaming early, trying to get those breakouts, how do you build that into your draft strategy as far as what pitchers are you picking up in draft? How long are you waiting for pitchers knowing that you are probably going to stream at least a couple roster spots yeah so one thing i really do want to point out here with kevin too is 15 teamers when i say stream early and i want to be very clear about this because i wasn't before i actually really mean in especially in a weekly league where you lock your lineups streaming isn't actually starting them it is especially early on because you already have like your six that you're starting that week hopefully 
Yeah. Right? <laughs> you should have that. And you aren't actually getting the ones at the bottom here shouldn't be inside of that six. You should have roster spots dedicated to it. I talk about this a lot when it comes to my drafting strategy. My biggest strength, personally, is following every starting pitcher. What do you know? Shocking. And read the SP Roundup. That's what I do every night. I go over every single starting pitcher. So I have my finger on the pulse of finding someone that might be breaking out or exceeding expectations. And that allows me to know who to pick up in season and find my value. So my bench spots, especially April and May, are more dedicated toward pitchers. It's just how I am in daily leagues and in in weekly leagues. I think that there's more opportunity for myself to seize that. That also means that I'm likely missing out on more of the early hitting breakouts. Um, I also just generally believe that it's harder to tell what is a true hitter breakout, especially early in the season, than it is a hit a pitcher. Because pitcher, we've got like velocity changes, we got usage changes, we got movement. I can watch them and understand them better. A hitter hits some home runs, and it's just he hit home runs in April. Is that gonna is that the same as him hitting in July? I don't know. And we get a better sense. I feel as if you have more second half breakouts with hitters in this respect than you do with pitchers. So it's easier to catch up there later on. But it also means my draft strategy is focused more on hitting and to say, look, I'm not going to rely on those early season pickups that are the guys through the entire year. You're, I guess, what, Michael Harris? I don't even know when he came up. I'm so sorry. At some point he did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, that's true. Right. I mean, who else was a... Do you guys have, you know, Taylor Ward was one. I actually got him in my 12-teamer, Taylor Ward. But then, of course, that slowed down. I'm not even just trying to think of who were the early April, May hitting breakouts that actually... We thought it was Tyler Naquin. Brandon (laughs) Drury would be one. Brandon Drury, sure. Stephen Kwan. You could say maybe Christian Walker. But even though we didn't really buy it, we're like, is this going to stick around in this Mm -hmm. way? But I guess that's my point is you can really identify... Quick, oh, this guy's throwing harder. It's like it's two sticks, two ticks harder. And like I and oh man, that slider got 11 whiffs on this night. That's pretty cool. So I really do structure my team like that. But I again, I really want to emphasize TGFBI. You're playing in that one. NFBC streaming is not necessarily starting them the first two weeks. It is anticipating a breakout and saying, okay, like I maybe I like this one. And this is the one that's a higher upside one. It's almost a stash at first. That turns into a future possible stream. It's all linked together because the goal of streaming isn't just that week. It is making it so that roster spot is now dedicated to a pitcher that you trust. And that's what I do in 12 teamers. My my pitching staff, by the end, it's like, I don't have any room. I'm the guy with the limes. Like, how am I going to hold all these limes? <laughs> that's how I feel with my pitching staffs traditionally by June or July. Maybe one other spot open up, injury, that kind of thing. But that's how I work in those. Now, that is a different element than, hey, it's Friday. I have a weekly league and or a daily league that it's a head to head league. Oh, I need to find the right guy for Saturday and Sunday. What I do in these cases, and this is why I encourage everybody in a head to head league, which I know is not necessarily what you guys are talking about with NFBC stuff. But if you're in a head to head league, your Sunday has to be. Who am I matched up against this week? How many starters do they have? How many do I have? What? And don't even get into the weeds of, oh, he has the Grom against this. I have Corn Burns against that. Was my projected outcome? No, no. You just even it up. I have Burns. He has the Grom. 
I have this, he has that. Just like really loosely do this and say, okay, I likely need X amount of starters or not. Then you go to the entire week and you see who you like, who you actually would say, this is the guy. You get it two days before. That is the rule. You do not wait to do it the day of. You will lose it. Someone else in the league will get that guy. You always go two days before. Your Sunday guy, you get him on Friday, right? And so it should never be a situation where it's Saturday and you go, oh, no, I need somebody for Sunday. That should just never happen. Then you're all of a sudden starting Bryce Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) You don't do it. But that's the best advice I can give for anybody in a head-to-head league. If you really want to focus on that, and be like, I'm trying to nick. I'm not playing that game you're playing. I'm playing the I need to decide who it is through the week. 12-teamers, I tell you right now, there are always, there are like four or five through every single week that I'm just like, this is a slam dunk. And it's not. It's normally like 75%. But 75% is way better than like the 55%. And those are the ones you circle. I do it with, with Tout Wars every week. Is like my Sunday is just looking at the entire week and planning like all right that's a good one that's a good one i also even look at all the starters available in the chart that they have and i say all right not this week but next week i'm gonna want this guy and i actually jump a week ahead because i know that i have a bench spot and i'm not gonna start this guy this week so that's the stuff you can do for streaming if you want it's it's not nearly as time consuming and hard as you think it is but that's the extra element of my strategy for streaming pitchers not hitters pitchers (laughs) We got the right outline here. Don't worry. Ooh. Let's we'll let everybody listen to Steve talk about Steve Weimer talk about hitting streamers. Oh, thank you. Don't worry thank about God. it. Yeah, we talk about it, Kevin. We talk all the time about, especially the whole section of our in-season podcast is talking about looking for volume pitchers, aka two-start pitchers, a week ahead of time. And not only because you want to be ahead of it, but also in a fab situation, usually those they're a lot cheaper to get the week prior. And then again, you can stash them on their bench or maybe if they have a good enough matchup, you can throw them in there. So that works the same way in just outlining the future week that you have. And I think that it, yeah, it works really well in the head to head like you're explaining, but it can work in a, in a roto league, in a weekly pickup league as well, especially if you're just trying to get ahead of the curve in the remainder of your rotation is solid. Or it's at least set. You don't have a lot of question marks at the back end. Kevin, are you doing anything differently in your DCs, your 50s, and your draft and holds when it comes to these? All of your pitchers are now become that are called like team streamers, right? You have players that you roster, but they're sit on your bench, like Nick, like you were talking about. Like you're going to be picking up guys ahead of time. You might not start them right away, but you want to be ahead of the curve. All of these guys, obviously, in a draft and hold are these team streamers. Are you building in the idea of streaming pitchers in a draft and hold, or are you just focusing on making sure you have X amount of pitchers regardless of their role? We talk a lot about the value of relief pitching in this kind of a format. What's your uh, what's your take on streaming pitchers in a draft and hold? I'm trying to be more selective of the guys that I draft for that purpose. I, I We talked about Wade Miley. He's a guy I like for that situation in draft and holds. I will have Wade Miley on several of my teams, but I think for the most part, my general strategy for 2023 is to have a better set pitching staff as chasing wins. My weakness last season was strikeouts. I'm addressing that, and and like I said, I'm going to pay attention to what the ball seems to be doing early in the season, 
And I'm going to have a more select few of backend starters that I hope to not need, but will be there if I do. And drafting even more of the semi-late inning, not necessarily the setup guy, but the more of the relievers that we also talk about on a weekly basis. And I probably, in most cases, am going to use those guys as my sixth and seventh starters when I get into a bind and start to lose some of my depth. Nick, I'm going to end this little section with this question. I don't think I really put this in the outline, but you talk about it a lot and I want to get you to elaborate on a little bit more. You talk a lot about, especially in a 12 teamer, you want to be able to get your top, I think it's your four top four starting pitchers out of your draft as guys that you trust are going to be on your roster or in your rotation active all year round set it, forget it type of thing. Obviously things can change and what have you, but how quickly are you moving on from the other four in eight or nine man rotation? As you're talking about streaming, especially early in the year, looking for those breakouts, you still drafted these guys. These are still guys you were worth putting in capital. It goes to the adage, like how quickly can you move on anybody? How much is draft capital worth once the season starts? One thing I really do value in my rankings is how quickly I believe I can make a decision on them. And it's why I have the adage, don't draft Tobies. We don't do it. Why? Because you're not going to be able to decide if this is going to be more than it is. Like, it's just kind of whatever, and you feel attached to it at that point. I would much rather go in on something, see that this isn't working out, and get out of there and not feel that attachment. So traditionally what I do is I go heavy on starters for like my 12 teamer drafts are something along the lines of four or five rounds hitting three rounds of pitching one, one other hitter I like or something, get my fourth guy, get my two relievers, maybe my fifth. Cause there's all of a sudden I'm like, why did this guy survive? <laughs> and then I get out and I go back to hitters and I just get the last bits of my lineup. And then I return to see what is, left at that point because traditionally in these drafts sure i could go after i've been doing a couple of these mock drafts for 12 teamers recently there are some really interesting ones that have fallen detmers i'd really be interested on that but if the slider isn't getting whiffs and that's that problem again then i'm out that's a fun one to go for kenta maeda i want to know quickly if kenta maeda is looking like old kenta maeda if he isn't i'm out Bailey Ober, is he working his four-seamer up and slider down? Are the twins going to be overprotective once again and make him a five and dive? Then okay, then I move on. Sixo Sanchez is my most popular 23rd round pick because I could move on to him before the season even starts. Fantastic. That's my last round pick and I've already made a decision on him. That's so important to do. But if I'm, I'm saying, oh, you know what? I think Zach Davies is worthwhile and might work out or something. And then the first start comes back and it's five innings, three earned runs, four strikeouts. And I'm like, what? What, what else I did I expect? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do I do with that? Because there's no decision being made. There's nothing different to change it. So I purposefully go after guys that projections hate because projections hate them because they're so volatile. It's, oh, it could be this outcome or that outcome. And I'm not chasing a 50% success rate. I'm chasing like a 25% success rate. And then moving on to the next 25%. I go through four of those and I have 100%. That's how probabilities work, right? <laughs> but I uh, it's I call it the Miss Frizzle method. Get messy. I make mistakes. No, wait. What is it? Take chances, make mistakes, get messy. There you go. There it is. It's so important. You are not drafting a best ball team. 
It is not a best ball league. Do not look at the fantasy pros. Oh, I've, I'm going to come third in my league. That's a best ball league. Draft like a waiver wire league, which you're in. If you do that, you can put yourself in a much better position. And that's how I go about it. You got to take those lottery tickets. More lottery tickets than anyone else means you have a better chance of hitting the lottery. <laughs> Somebody has to win. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. I think that's all very good advice. And we're going to put some of that to the test here with a couple of groupings of pitchers. I'm going to play a little game. We're going to do that right after this second quick break. All right, we are back. We're going to play our ask game. We played this with Steve with hitters. We're going to only do this with pitchers for Nick. You're welcome. This is our avoid stream keep. So we got a trio of pitchers and groupings. I'm going to ask you guys each of this grouping, who would, if you were forced to draft and hold one of these players all year, you couldn't drop them. I will give you the flexibility so wait, of... This is a best ball league? Oh, you, did you read the outline? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just clarifying for everybody. All right. This grouping of three. There's three pitchers yes. in each grouping. I want you mm-hmm. to pick one of them. You'll have to keep on your roster. All, you'd feel comfortable enough to keep on your roster all year round. Oh boy. Another one, you could only stream. So you, you could only pick them up, use them drop him and then assuming he's still available down the line you could stream him again throughout the season and then the third one you would be avoiding all season long as of right now so you would not be able to pick them up all year round so i'm gonna let i'm gonna let nick take a look at the groupings first so he can get his bearings kevin i'm gonna throw the first one out at you specifically since we just talked about one these are three guys that have yet to debut I think many of us expect them to debut at some point, whether that's in early early May or even a September call-up. We have Kyle Harrison of San Francisco, Andrew Painter of Philadelphia, and then the aforementioned Brandon Fott of Arizona. Kevin, which one of these stashes would you be more willing to keep draft right now, keep on your roster all year round, one that you would be expecting that you'd be able to stream at some point and one that you'll probably be avoiding completely. This is tough because this is the toughest grouping that you have on the outline here. And it's because we don't know when we're going to see any of them. And so that plays a big role here. If because they're so close and because of that, I'm just going to assume they all come up at the same point in the season. And in that case, I, I think Andrew Painter probably has the best chance of entering the rotation and keeping it. I, I like his stuff. I like the strikeouts. I love the ballpark for Kyle Harrison, so he'll be my streamer. And in spite of just saying that Zach Davies is not going to prevent Brandon Fott from being in the <laughs> starting rotation, I guess he he's the odd man out here. But I'm going to go Painter's stuff to be my, my keep. Harrison's ballpark, along with the talent, of course, to be my streamer. And unfortunately, then I got to let Fought go. Now, let's clarify something for you, Nick, as well. All of these trio, all of these players, with the exception of one who has an asterisk on them, we were drafted in one of two of our completed on the wire listener leagues, which are 12 teamers set up the same way as online championships on the NFPC platform. So they are weekly, they are fab. And so this is where I got this groupings from. These are guys that are either 50% of the time, in theory, going to be on the wire week one in some of these fab leagues, especially these 12 teamers. Do you have any other insight? I know 
you know, focus on players mostly when they jump into the majors and then you do your deep dives, you do the gift breakdown. They don't exist in the major But leagues. then they get a gift breakdown of their first start, which sure, is amazing. Absolutely. My understanding is that Kyle Harrison still has some command issues. And the biggest problem I see of young guys coming up is that I don't trust them to throw strikes. Uh, and that's already instantly like I'm avoiding. So Kyle Hand- Harrison's going to be the one I'm not touching this year. It's really tough between Fott and Painter. On one side of it, the Phillies, they could, do they want to go with Bailey Falter? It could very much be a case of Painter is so good that they just bring him up like right away. I'm not going to rule that out. We saw it with Chris Paddock, for example. We've seen Luis Castillo jump from double A to the majors in a little bit of a different scenario. If Painter is just that good out of spring, we might see him two weeks into the season or whatever past the, the team control deadline. So, yeah, that that's cool. Or maybe it's the arbitration deadline. Regardless, that deadline. No, I think it's team control. And that, to me, is going to put Painter above Fott. Honestly, it's the Zach Davies problem. And I cannot believe how much I hate Zach Davies now. But <laughs> it's, I also heard the stories about his personal stuff, too, which doesn't make me a fan anyway. But, but yeah, that's so Painter is the one I'm going with. Fought is the one that I guess I can stream. And then Harrison is someone I just seen. You let somebody else take that risk. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now your second favorite topic of conversation here. <laughs> this grouping I labeled, we don't draft Toby's, but we have three guys on here again. All drafted in one, but not the other, except for one. Eduardo Rodriguez was not drafted in either, but I had to fill the category. That's a, that's a very interesting option. So, so yeah. Stephen Matz, Aaron Savale, and Eduardo Rodriguez. Nick, start us off. If you are forced to draft and keep one of these guys all year round, who is it? Who are you streaming on a regular basis, if available? And who are you avoiding? Man, this is really difficult. I mean, okay, the one that I'm drafting is Aaron Savale. I think that's I think that's pretty easy, honestly. Savali has the most intrigue with his stuff. His curveball is really good. And when he goes cutter curveball, he's generally pretty successful. And the Guardians should still win games. And he'll go six plus innings more consistently than the others, I think, as well, as Tony Francona pops another popsicle into his mouth. So he'll be like, oh, I have to go out and get him now. This is great. So Steven Matz with the Cardinals is the one I think I'm going to be streaming. I hope the Cardinals defense is good again. That would be nice. It wasn't nearly as good last year as it was in 2021, but it seems like this is a good situation for Matt's. We thought it would be initially injuries got in the way and all this kind of stuff, and it should be able to get back to it. That would, like, on a consistent basis, like a streamer, I'm like, okay, I need someone for Saturday for a win. All right, Steven Matt's, I think you, if you're in this rotation and going, then, like, great. I'll try that one should limit the damage with ground balls and everything fine. Eduardo Rodriguez is the most interesting one because he could get picked up a ton if he comes out of the gate and killing it. He's, he's the least stable of this group, which is why if I have to make these decisions, I'll just avoid Eduardo Rodriguez and just not touch it. But man, I think we're underrating Eduardo's ability. He got hurt and then he had the personal stuff and he never really got a chance to get his footing back, but he's actually kind of good by the end. The changeup was starting to look like its old self again. If he can make his four-seamer like it was in 2021, then Eduardo Rodriguez is legit. We all thought that he was going to be amazing when he came over to Detroit in the first place and all the bad luck was going to go away. It could be much better now for him. I don't want to rule out Eduardo Rodriguez, but if I have to say right now, yeah, Aaron Savali, I'm keeping. Matt's, I'm streaming, and Eduardo Rodriguez, I'm 
and let someone else take the chance on that. Kevin, are you more willing to take that risk and even keep Eduardo Ruiz in your streaming options? Or are you keep taking the quote safety of Mets as as your streaming option throughout the year? I, I think, yeah, the latter. There's just too much unknown with Eduardo Rodriguez for me. And I agree. And one thing I'd like to add about Savale, he missed about a month, two separate times in hmm. 2022. And when he came back from that second month off, he was really good. 3-3-5 ERA, 46 strikeouts in 43 innings. Only four innings in the first start back, but after a month off, that shouldn't surprise us. Only one of his other seven starts did he not go five innings to end the season. So I'm actually pretty excited about Savale for 2023 at his current price of 333 ADP in draft champions league since mid-november so yeah i agree with nick's entire lineup here of these three and of course i would if like we talked about with rob on the pull hitter podcast i still don't do a lot of deep dives on pitching i trust nick pollock i trust Eno saris i trust you know that's much better this is what so i would have to feel really strongly about something to counter what nick was saying here but i would like to add that yeah i'm pretty excited about what sabali can do at his draft cost coming into 2023 it's so interesting that curveball is really good with Savali. there is a constant feeling with him that there hasn't been a season where he's really able to just stick to a plan and go through it. But it really does depend, I think, on the curveball being a like 35% thrown pitch. Like it just needs to be that. And sometimes he doesn't do it because he just doesn't have a feel for it that day. And that's the problem. It's not like out of choice. He just goes, Yeah, I don't really care yeah. for my curveball. 17%. <laughs> no, it's because he doesn't have a good feel for it, he doesn't trust it now. So fine. But I just want to remind you, Kevin, I am wrong very often. That gut doesn't need to be so strong to be able to disagree with me. All right. We have a couple of relief or used to be relievers at one point in their career, maybe as recently as last season. But they have found new life in in, in new locations for some and just in in a rotation. We have Nick Martinez re-signing up with San Diego, Jose Suarez in Los Angeles or in the Anaheim portion of that. And then Zach Eflin finding a new location in Tampa Bay. Kevin, we'll start you off with this one. Again, who are you avoiding? Who are you streaming? And who are you keeping all year? This one's tough as well. I know he's been up and down as a starter, but the fact that Tampa would sign him for the amount that they gave him, I think I'm going to roll with Zach Eflin here. He may not be the best pitcher of the three, but I think he's probably going to have the best opportunity. I think they're expecting him to eat some innings. And for that reason, I'm going back to my chasing wins. I think Eflin will go five innings for Tampa most times out. So that's where... I'm going to go for the guy to draft and keep on my roster and use most weeks. Nick Martinez and Jose Suarez are really, this is a tricky one for me. And I'm really anxious to hear what Nick has to say, but I think I'm, I think my streamer would be Nick Martinez. I hate to say I wouldn't use Jose Suarez all season long, because he would definitely be on my radar as a streamer. But I I think Nick Martinez has been really good for San Diego in the relief role. And if it sticks at all, if he can maintain his velocity when he's stretched out, then 
that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go Eflin, Martinez, Suarez in that order. Do you have, let's see how interesting does Nick have, interesting things that Nick actually have to say that are worth Kevin wanting to hear it. <laughs> You're making some faces like, I don't know. Okay, there's only one answer I feel good about in this, and it's my streaming choice and that's actually Jose Suarez because Jose Suarez is a platoon arm his sinker inside the lefties and sliders away are just devastating he takes down lefties so if you're facing a team that has a lot of lefty bats I would feel more comfortable leaning on Jose Suarez in a given day he does not have a good plan of attack for right-handers. The sinker is not nearly as effective. The four-seamer is not. The slider, he doesn't have confidence getting that down and in as a back foot slider. The changeup is fine, but it's not enough. So it's the perfect streaming one for me as it's more outlined of, cool, who is he facing? What Are they uh, are they more lefty heavy than great? Then I go with Flynn versus Nick Martinez. So this isn't fair because I haven't gotten to Nick Martinez yet. <laughs> I <laughs> uh, but 20% curveball usage last year and it was a very effective pitch for him the curveball has actually been something that we've been going back and forth on where Eflin oh man if he has this curveball on a given day then he's really good but then he hadn't for a while only 10% usage or 11% in 2021 moved up to 20% really good offering 21% swing strike rate 41% O swing I think the Rays recognize that and they'll be like yes more of that Eflin has also said I just don't always feel it and if I don't have it, then I don't have it. And he just kind of goes away from it. I don't know if that's going to change or not. The sinker is a heavy called strike pitch. 26% called strike pitch last year. 32% CSW. It's what you want to see. I would say that I believe more in Eflin than I do Nick Martinez for just being able to go five, six innings. The Rays need volume. I don't think they're going to do the four or five inning game with Eflin. If you look at Corey Kluber this past year, you can get to to Eflin. And yeah, they generally let Corey Kluber pitch when he could, right? So I think that's what will happen with Eflin. Do I think it's worth your time? Not really. Maybe the curveball is great. And maybe going from 20 to 30% or so usage will make that huge difference. And that will mean also that the E-Ray maybe could be under the four. And maybe I'm overlooking the fact that Eflin had a 112 whip last year because he just doesn't walk anybody and the hipper nine was under hit nine. Maybe that does work out. By the way, if you have a nine hipper nine and a 0% walk rate, you'll have a one whip. That's how that works, guys. So I uh, keep it under nine and low walk rate. It's good. Now, Nick Martinez. Oh, there is a chance. There's a chance. He just does not know how to locate his, his stuff a lot. Like he does such a good job with sinkers inside with it. But then he doesn't go inside to lefties with a cutter. He makes bad decisions like throwing a middle location sinker away at 0-2. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why why would you do that to a lefty? This is just opening yourself up for opportunity to fail. So I think Mick Martinez has tweaks to make that could actually make him a much better pitcher. I don't have faith that those tweaks are going to be made. And that's really annoying to me. He does have opportunity. It's him and Seth Lugo currently as a three and sorry, the four and the five in San Diego, which is hilarious. I could talk more about how Adrian Morehan's four seamer is unbelievably exceptional. And I didn't realize that. And maybe is like an amazing sleeper pick, but I don't know if he's going to start out of the gate. They got Seth Lugo and Nick Martinez and they might get Johnny Cueto. Never mind Morehan. I don't know. <laughs> so how much Nick Martinez is going to start is up in the air as well. Eflin's is a lot more secure. It's a long way of saying that Kevin's pretty much except for the whole Jose Suarez thing. See, I get that. And I think that this one, this grouping kind of really focuses on the idea of this activity is which one of these guys 
in my mind, which one of these guys has the least amount of volatility, even if they're not shiny, even if they're not going to get you everything you want. Eflin, I think we're all in agreement, yeah, has the least amount of volatility of these guys in the platoon splits that you talked about with Jose Suarez makes him, you're going to want to use him, but you're not going to want to use him all the time in very select spaces. So I get that's the idea of this is like focusing on which one of these pitchers, these are all pitchers that are getting picked in the last four to five rounds of these 12 team drafts that we've been doing, which we have one just kicking kicked off a couple hours ago, Kevin, I don't know where you're at in your draft, but we're already in round three. (laughs) So hopefully, hopefully your draft moves along in that and we can get some more data by the time our next pod rolls around. Oh, we'll have it by then. But right now we're eight picks in. Oh, geez. Okay. (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) All right. Let's get to these number six starters. Nick, I'll let you take this one as well. These are guys that we thought they might be in the rotation at the start of the offseason, but through signings and through other changes in the roster have probably got bumped into at least their number six spot may not start the opening day in the rotation, but we would expect through various reasons they would get an opportunity at some point or another. Nick, you have to draft and keep one of these guys. You have, you can stream the other one and you have to avoid one of them altogether. Give me your takes. All right. <laughs> like putting Nick in uncomfortable situations. So it's David Peterson, Hayden Wisniewski and Luis Ortiz. And the way I'm going to look at this is what does their opportunity look like? Like, how do they get regular playing time? And then how likely are they to hold on to it when they get it, right? So I think Luis Ortiz is the lowest here of that. Hayden Musneski does look like the number six. Tyone and Smiley have showed up. But Smiley doesn't stay healthy. He doesn't do that. He looks at health and go, what are you? I don't know what you are. Get out of my house. So David Peterson also is someone that could get a lot of opportunity. You have Carlos Carrasco with injury history. You have Max Scherzer and you have the aging code, Justin Verlander. You, it just makes a lot of sense that David Peterson would get more opportunity and would go longer. And it's more defined. I think was David Peterson than is Hayden Wesneski. It's a really good slider with a 26% swing strike rate last year. I'm going to go with David Peterson as the one I have to draft now streaming. Let's just throw in and say, all right, they're both starting. What I'm not, I'm streaming and then letting them go. So it's not so much about their opportunity. It's just they have it by that definition in that moment. So do I want to do Wesneski or Luis Ortiz? I'm worried about Luis Ortiz's fastball, which is strange because he throws like 99. But it's more horizontal break than I want to. It's not a good VAA. It's not good stuff that you would want to outline swing and miss material and it's a September percent swing strike rate last year however lots of softer contact right not much hard contact on Luis Ortiz's fastball it's a nice slider he's not a command guy and I think that's more of a volatile stream and I'm thinking this not as like a stream in April and May to hold on through the year I'm thinking like it is depths of those summer nights as you sweat because the AC is broken and you have no idea what you're going to do to win this game tomorrow. So I'm going to go Hayden Wisniewski. I think there's just a little bit more polish to his approach and dependability on the breaking ball and a little bit more of a win chance being on the Cubs than it is on the Pirates. So I guess I'm not touching Luis Ortiz. I'm going to stream Hayden Wisniewski. I'm going to draft and hold David Peterson. (laughs) You have to, I'm assuming David Peterson is the number six 
with the Mets. I and want it to be Tyler McGill I know. so badly. I just wonder if it, the fact that he's a lefty gives him a little bit of a leg up. They only have the one lefty in the starting five rotation. You don't know, per se, what you're going to get out of Kodai Senga at the moment. You just don't know. You have an idea. Makes but, all the sense. Yeah. To just I want it to be Tyler McGill. He deserves it. I, Kevin, I'm assuming that you could probably pick your three based on win probability alone as you're going to change your Twitter handle to chasing wins, I think. Do you? I do mean, you, that w- was, by the way, that was one of the biggest takeaways I had from First Pitch Arizona. And so I'm with you on this. Kevin. <laughs> yeah. And like I, I mentioned last episode, I had I have done some diving to see if I can find any patterns to we know relievers can get us wins. We know relievers are getting more of the wins than ever before but nothing i have found leads to any pattern to where we can predict that for specific players even specific teams and i actually had a text conversation with ariel cohen a couple days ago and he agrees he's done the same dive he said no chasing wins has to come from starters which means streaming right that that's that puts us in a tough spot and yeah i think it's interesting with the new york mets rotation singa is the youngest starter he'll be 30 years old and he will be the youngest by four years in that starting five so i believe david peterson will have the most opportunity we know his struggles have been the walk rate he has shown flashes when he's not walking guys he can be outstanding so he's definitely the one I'm drafting and holding. And then my streamer is going to be because of the chasing wins is not going to be the Pittsburgh pirate. it's going to be Wesley. simple as that. Yep. <laughs> it's not who it is going to be. It's who it's not going to be. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Last trio here, Kevin, have you started off here? We have three guys that changed teams this offseason. Again, they were drafted in just one of the two completed listener leagues we have. Jose Quintana, Taiwan Walker, and Ross Stripling all found new rosters to make themselves home. What order are you putting these guys in and how trustworthy are any of them in their new environments? I'm a big, like with Wade Miley, I've always been a little higher on Quintana than many others. I love what he did in 2020. And I I think he found a nice landing spot as one of the four pitchers, 34 years older in that rotation. But I think this is a great landing spot for him. And I think the Mets offense backing him up will definitely see more wins than we saw him last season when two thirds of the season was in that Pirates rotation we just talked about. The other two here with Walker and Ross Stripling, this is really intriguing to me. I think throughout 2022, I was more of a fan of Ross Stripling, even though at times I think Walker was probably the better pitcher. But I'm once again, San Francisco, nice ballpark for guys like Ross Stripling. Again, I like this landing spot. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go with Stripling as my streamer. And it is, as more that I start, as we start to see more projections come out and we hear what more, what Nick and some of the other pitching experts have to say, I, I might bump Stripling here up. I think right now he's my streamer just because I'm such a fan of Quintana. And I think it's a perfect landing spot for Quintana. Although I 
do really like striplings as well. Before you say anything, Nick, if you talk enough about a subject, you are automatically an expert. That's yeah, how you're that an works. Expert, That's Nick. science. Whether you like the title or not, you're an expert. <laughs> Good it's or bad. I, I'm not quantifying. I'm not quantifying. I'm just using a word. <laughs> I want I get your take. I want to get your answer too, Nick. But I'm curious, which of these three guys, which one do you think gets impacted most by where they're going? positive or negatively, whether it's going to a team that we have a narrative of we trust because they're doing fun things or good things to mediocre pitchers or a ballpark that's going to hurt them, whatever. Which one of these guys do you think gets hurt or helped the most in either direction based on their new environment? Yeah, I'll put it this way. Jose Quintana getting wins. There you go. What there's the story of the podcast. Yeah, it's much it's a great situation for him as a New York Met. Tywin Walker going to the Phillies. I hope Trey Turner's defense really does have an impact for them because that has been an issue for the Phillies across the years, is their defense behind them. Hopefully that's not as severe of a damaging point for Walker. Actually, it's interesting. We talk about the Giants a lot being, oh yeah, great ballpark. Righties actually are okay at hitting to left field, but the bigger problem, that's actually the bigger problem for Ross Ribbon because it's such a good changeup. He nullifies lefties a good amount with it. And then righties become the issue. So maybe that's okay there. But the defense was really bad last year. We used to attribute the Giants as like this really good situation for this. But look at Cobb and look at Wood. And it's, oh, it wasn't necessarily their just luck. It was, no, that was a terrible defense behind them. And I don't know if that is necessarily a good thing for Ross Stripling. Then again, you're coming from the Jays. Not a great mm-hmm. situation there with the turf and also not the best defense either. So I don't really know. I would think I can definitely say that the one who benefits the most from last year is Quintana. And the Cardinals defense wasn't as good as we wanted it to be anyway when he was traded. So that's the case there. I think the most definitive answer for me here is that I'm not going to have Tywin Walker on my teams last year. This year. The fastball is not a good pitch. It was overperforming in 2021 and then he lost velocity on it and he got away with it a little bit more but like it's I don't like this at all lots of hard contact allowed on it he's what a 12% swing strike rate and only a 54.7% strike rate that is so bad that doesn't seem good no, no. <laughs> the league average of a slider is 63% and that's generally what I expect is like mid or low 60s on a slider for strikes rates. Essentially, this is the pitch he's hoping to get strikes with, right? But because that did poorly, he had to double his splitter usage from about 14 and change to 27 and change. And that has a 67% strike rate. And you know me, I don't want to buy into that. That's the reason that Taiwan Walker did anything last year is because the splitter was performing as well as it did. It had a 192 batting average allowed versus the 258 of 2021. And that's with double usage. And normally you see the inverse of that, where the more you throw a pitch, generally it gets worse because you get to pick and choose the spots you throw it in. But then now you have to use it in different scenarios and it's generally worse. It did better. Don't think that's going to happen again. So I'm out on Tywin Walker. Ross Stripling versus Jose Quintana. Jose Quintana got into a groove where he's able to throw four seamers up and curveballs down with immaculate precision and that was shocking it just came out of nowhere i was dreaming of it in like early 2021 and never expected to ever see it and then all of a sudden it just started happening in 2022 and it was great i don't think that sticks for another year i think that was the peak while ross tripling that's a really good change up and there's still work to be done on the curve and slider but the giants should be able to work with that in a decent way so i'm probably going to draft ross stripling 
and then stream Jose Quintana. But I could be convinced the other way of Jose Quintana over Ross Stripling easily. Both are interesting grabs at the end of your draft. And honestly, I would encourage more going for Quintana because in your 12-teamers, because it's pretty free, honestly. No one's really going after Jose Quintana. And the Mets have a really good schedule to start the year. It's Miami, then the Brewers. And what I always encourage is, sure, you go for the things you want to chase and stuff, but if you can have a start that you like the opening weekend, like always just do that and then reassess from there. And Jose Quintana should be, what, the four on this team? Maybe Senka's the five? Sure, it's four games against the Marlins. Start him on that Monday and or on Sunday and call it a day. This is great. Yeah, you have to assume... I, roster resource has Quintana as the five, but as the only lefty in that, you assume that they're going to mix and match that a little bit and bump oh, him up. He might even be the three just because yeah. depending on what their matchups look like. Is yeah, you can stream pitchers in your draft is what you just said, basically. Pretty like, much. You, yeah, yeah, you're right. You could do that out of the gate. Right. Yeah. Plan for the opening weekend. It's why I have the, the first two mm-hmm. series in your in the top 200. It's interesting. It only works the first pull around, though. Like oh, the sure. second that Quintana goes, then it's then he's the five again. See, I just feel like Quintana's earned the four, and Senga would not be the four. That just doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, especially with what his schedule in Japan was. We say that it's always different just because of oh, the yeah, way right. like the season day. goes. They have a lot more off every days. Saturday, yeah, exactly. Or whatever. Yeah. So we'll see how that uh, that maps out come the start of the season in April. Yep. All right, this was fun. Whether you believe that or not, Nick, I'm not sure. It was fun for me. But we've got this pretty much, that's pretty much it. But Kevin, I'm going to leave you with the opportunity to close us out with any additional words of wisdom, whether they have to do with pitching or not. This is all on you, not Nick. So you can pick whatever way you want to go. (laughs) First of all, while they may not have quite been ringing endorsements, I am very happy that I at least did not get shot down by Nick on my Jose Quintana and Wade Miley love. That's awesome. (laughs) Gives me some comfort for some of these late round picks I've been making so far this season. I have never won TGFB. I've never come close. Okay. Just, I just want to put that out there. Just throw that out there. Hopefully Quintana and Miley can get me another one. So that's what we're hoping for. No, Ariel Cohen had a great article come out today. We're recording on Thursday, I believe. Little baller. He talked to seven of the individuals that put out projection systems that that we'll be looking at and it was really intriguing to me a couple of points one that is something we've been talking about adam in recent episodes at least both todd zola and Derek card have stated that they will let us know what they are doing with their projection systems according to account for the new rules changes And that's what we've been talking about. Don't double count things. They're going to let us know what they were able to implement and what they probably just couldn't quantify and what is not already included into projections. So then maybe we do want to take into extra account and we wouldn't be doubling up. And the others will probably do similar, but they both point blank said that they will let us know what is included in their projection systems as far as the new rules go. The other thing, that is really intriguing to me about this is that hasn't happened yet. So they did their projections and even those that aren't out yet will do their projections as they have in the past. And then we'll make adjustments through the off season. So if you're somebody like me that downloads projection systems, puts them on a spreadsheet, starts adjusting playing time. When you do that, when the projections first come out, 
we're probably going to see more changes in the projections throughout the off season than we typically do as, as those adjustments are made. So that's something we want to pay attention to going forward till we get to March. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, it's interesting to know that like we, we put so, all the podcasts you listen to, these articles, the, especially when Steamer first comes out, because it's one of the first, if not the first publicly available projection system with any with any clout, really, that we, so much content revolves around those projections and they come out and all the stuff that we talked about when it first came out could be null and void. Even by now, as adjustments are made throughout, as free agents are signed, as teams change, teams' contracts change, stuff like that. And not to mention adjusting then for the new rules, as you mentioned. So make sure yeah, you're, yeah, you're watching them. Steamer that you brought up, the rules changes have not yet been accounted for. So the initial projections that we have right now from Steamer, rules changes are not being taken into account, but they will, I believe the article said by the end of January or early February. So that just to that point, even though they've been out for a month and a half, two months now, they still don't have the rules changes implemented hmm. into those projections. Hopefully, and this is a nice little lead in, Nick, we'll have some more clarity during PitchCon. We'll have some wonderful presenters talking about the implementation of these new rules in baseball and how they might affect fantasy baseball. Can you talk to our listeners about what PitchCon is and what they should be expecting? Absolutely. Yeah. If you saw on Twitter, excuse me, if you saw on Twitter yesterday, we are going to be hosting our fourth annual PitchCon event, January 25th to 28th. That is Wednesday to Saturday from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. each day. So that's 44 hours of a baseball conference, four-day baseball conference from people across the industry, baseball and fantasy, to raise money for charity. And I'm so pleased to announce that this year, instead of 50% of it going to charity, it's going to be 100% going to the ALS Association. Amazing. Could not be awesome. more thrilled about that. And we're going to be giving away prizes to everybody. We have people from the industry donating subscriptions and merch, fun things like joining podcasts and helping out with drafts. That is free to do. You don't have to donate to uh, to be eligible to win those. You just have to fill out a Google form to say what you want to win. And we'll be raffling all that off at the end of the conference. We also have surprise announcements that are going to be going through it. And you can watch this entire thing either by just going to pitchwoods.com slash pitchcon you can also just go to twitch.tv slash pitcherless. That's where we'll be hosting as well on Twitch, either one of the two. And that will start again Wednesday, January 25th, 11 a.m. Eastern time. So many things to announce and show. We're going to be showing off PL8. We're going to be showing off the new big thing called PLV that we're doing. Some other little surprises. Cannot wait for all of this. And you guys have something maybe that you're doing at PitchCon. You guys are going to be involved, of course. I don't know if you're ready to talk about it yet we've mentioned it you have to give us the green light that what slot we're going to be in oh I, I, I don't know yet but the schedule completely we've been manipulating our own podcast production schedule all off season so that we could time it to have our 100th episode live at PitchCon. Oh, so yeah. it's just a matter of what day and what time but yeah that's lined up we're excited the way the format that i think we have lined up we're gonna have a few guests on and uh, and that's what we always say is what makes this podcast so great is the amount of assistance we get from our guests throughout the course of the year yourself included nick this is your third you have you have joined the three-time club it's very it's like snl <laughs> exactly <laughs> we'll start a, a little question nick so yes. january 25th is less yeah. than three weeks away. Is that exciting or scary for you? No, it's exciting. Obviously, there's work to be done, 
but considering how amazing the fantasy community is, it's really easy once it gets going. It's just me just saying, cool, here we go, I'm on in. And this is great. The only annoying part is I have to come up with a schedule that adheres to all the requests that people have. (laughs) That's the only thing. (laughs) So hopefully everybody can let me know what that is early and then I can figure all of it out. And I'm sure there will be problems and this and that. But no, it's such a wonderful event. And I really got to emphasize that I'm just so happy we can donate all of it this time. The In the previous three years, as you can understand, it's been difficult because of COVID happening and then COVID happening again and then a lockout. And it's finally, we're excited for a full baseball season here. And the real and the real vision for this was to be something that the entire fantasy community comes together to do while also just it's the best <laughs> it's 44 hours talking about baseball so i can't wait for it and it's always such a fun weekend and yeah know, it's i'm sure we'll get through the stress of scheduling that's fine we'll figure it out <laughs> nice and we'll all be better for it thank you nick all right guys that's gonna wrap it up for episode 97 of on the wire we will be back throughout the all season please make sure you're subscribing sharing reviewing the podcast wherever you're listening you can follow myself on the twitter at 80 grade that's all spelled out kevin is at hasting kevin and of course follow the pod itself at on the wire pod once again thank our guest nick pollock for joining us please follow him if for whatever reason you're not already at pitcher list on the twitter after all that i am adam howe and on behalf of kevin hasting thanks for listening we bid you goodbye